Hey, good morning, everyone. Welcome to the Truth About Real Estate podcast. Today, we're here with Susie Lee and Sarah Jung, our guest. Sarah Jung is in Legacy Bloom Investments. She is the founder of that and it is talking about real estate syndication today and senior investing, senior housing. Uh, welcome, Sarah, to the show. Thank you, Matthew, for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Welcome. Yeah, we're excited to have you here. I've been meaning to you know, start talking to more investors and syndicators and uh, showing our audience and our clients and guests about real estate syndication. It's a great platform to be in and to learn about. It's for me what I see as the next step to real estate investing. Uh, first off, you know, can you tell us more about you? Yeah, sure. Yeah, again, well, thanks for having me. This is actually my first time being on a live show. So now we're the first. <laughs> here now. Um, yeah, so I um, so I have been uh, so my my background is actually I've been in mortgage banking and real estate for the last uh, actually almost almost nineteen years now. Um, I actually got I actually got into uh, lending almost right out of college. I actually moved to Silicon Valley from the Midwest to uh, you know to be in technology, and then within a year when I moved out here, um, I got recruited to go into uh, a bank, and so that's where my career started in lending and in mortgage banking, and uh, I just you know, I've been there ever since. And, um, and so, <clears throat> so that's where I started. Um, and then I started to, we got into real estate, uh, you know, along with that, just kind of the natural, you know, course of things when you're in finance and lending, um, you're working in real estate. So then we had bought real estate um, and we started investing. And, uh, and so that's how I started to get into the whole syndication business as well. What made you want to get into like real estate investing? Like why real estate investing? Why not stocks or other options? Well, you know, when you're when you're in the mortgage business, um, you're, you're kind of living and breathing in in the real estate business anyway. And so <laughs> and so you see. And so what, what what happened is that, you know, I've seen so many clients over the years, uh, you know, buy and sell real estate. So early, early in my career, um, you know, we had a lot of clients that, you know, buy, you know, they bought rental properties. Um, I, you know, there was a, a several years where I did construction lending. Um, and so you just see a lot of different people buy, you know, real estate for different reasons. Um, and then over time you start to see what the, you know, kind of how those deals start to play out, you know, over the years. Um, I've had a lot of clients over the years that I've, I've kept in contact with. I've done, you know, I've done their loans, um, you know, over and over. And we've, you know, we've had, you know, long relationships over the years. And so I've been able to see, um, you know, how, from where they started to where they ended up. Um, you know, when the real estate crash in 2008, nine, that was a really interesting time that, you know, I mean, affected me, affected a lot of my clients. Um, but still, even through that, uh, you know, I still saw just the huge benefit of real estate and the benefit of real estate investing and what it can actually do for somebody um, over time. So even through all of that chaos, you know, once you came out of that, you know, if they were willing to stick it through, uh, they still made out better, you know, even after. Um, and so that that's what started me, you know, as I, you know, developed, you know, as I kind of went through my career um, was, you know, basically just, you know, real estate was was really where it is. And so, um, you know, I wasn't really big into stocks. I really didn't have the kind of the gut for uh, just kind of dealing with the volatility of it. Um, I just didn't understand it enough. Um, it was just too speculative. And so it wasn't something that I understood well, but I understood real estate well. And I was able to see the benefits of it personally. Uh, and, and also for myself too. And so that's, so that's why we started real, uh, investing in real estate. Um, and so we were able to directly see those benefits um, over time, as well as, you know, helping out my clients. I think that's a great point. You know, real estate investing is a big part of what we do too. We love real estate investing and how it has a big factor in, you know, creating passive wealth and creating a lot of equity and having a home. People need homes in life in the world. They need homes. So you're kind of, for me, I say it's kind of like a kind of guarantee where you can't predict the exact uh, property and the acquisition and equity and what happens. But if you can kind of understand that, you know, people need to rent, people need to live, people want to be in certain locations. And if you can find the right locations, the right properties, maintain it, it's something physical. I like to have a physical asset more than a stock. I can actually touch the house, see the house, know sure. what's going on, the condition and say, Hey, I think this area is going to go up. So I think that if we buy this investment here and we see the market changing even in a way, even now that there's opportunity to be there. And if you can look around, you can quickly see what's going on. And if you know the local market or have boots on the ground, 
you understand yes. more. But for a stock perspective, you don't have any control. You're looking speculative of news, what's going on. You don't have insider news. You just have what you see on the market. And that's hard to predict. You have to have like real experts who know the industry inside and out. And it's hard for uh, everyone to know exactly all the places you want to be buying into. Like when you saw, for example, Tesla, they're at 850 and they dropped to 350. I'm sure everyone's got hurt really bad. <laughs> you know, how do you handle that kind of big drop, right? Right, right. Well, and, and I totally agree with you, Matthew. I mean, we're on the same page on that. I mean, one of the things that, I mean, again, with stocks, I mean, you know, you have to invest in the asset that you're that you're comfortable with and that you're familiar with. And that's what I tell everybody. If you're not familiar with it, don't invest in it. If you're not comfortable with it, you know, don't invest in it. Um, you know, you have to like real estate. You have to be comfortable with real estate. It has to be kind of an asset class that you like and that, that you know, resonates with you. Um, you know, stocks resonates with certain people. It doesn't resonate with me. Um, it's, it just wasn't a fit, you know, it's like, if I want to go out and become a professional, uh, investor, uh, stock investor, I mean, I'd have to, you know, spend a lot of time and energy, but the thing is, it's not even worth it because again, you're not an insider. You don't really know what's going on. You can try to read the news and, you know, everything that's maybe going on with those companies. But to me, I mean, stocks, uh, you know, stocks, it's a, it's a very, it's a, it's a, uh, it's an emotional roller coaster, right? And so because it's speculative, because people are acting on their emotions. Um, and that's why you have so much volatility because as humans, uh, that's how the stock market is. It's based on emotions. It's not based on necessarily fact uh, or reality. It's based on the perception of what people think are, what people think uh, may be happening or speculating what could be happening, but you don't really know exactly uh, unless you're in the inside. And then even if you're in the inside, you still don't really know, you, don't, you can't predict those outcomes exactly. Exactly. Um, and so with the real estate, at least, there's data behind it. And it's, you know, again, like you, you said, it is a physical asset. So, you know, you are not speculating whether, um, you, you know, you're not guessing, you're, you're not really guessing as much, right? Because you have, uh, you know, there, there's facts around it, there's uh, material, there's, you know, it's, it's brick and mortar. Uh, it's a place for people to live, um, you know, people to hang their, you know, hang their hat on. It's, you know, so it's a lot more stable and safe, uh, in my opinion. Um, and I have seen that over and over through the years. I, I've seen clients lose a lot of money, lots and lots of money in, in, in their stock. I mean, especially back in 08, 09, 010. I mean, I remember, I mean, you were back in the business. It was, yeah. it was crazy. I mean, we, I mean, I had, we had customers like, I mean, they, they lost massive amounts in their portfolio. I mean, they had, I mean, I had, I actually had clients that literally had to start over and they were almost at the point of retirement. Um, you know, they were planning on retiring the next like five years. And, and so, um, you know, it, it was very tragic. And so, you know, so some of those people, they, they did have to start over. Um, and so, uh, and, you know, a lot of us had to start over, you know, including myself. So, but it was uh, tragic to see that happen. And, uh, you know, in, even in this last go around, you know, even with COVID, um, uh, you know, I had, you know, I'm in a few uh, syndicated deals myself. And we had done a deal last year where uh, we had brought in, you know, I had some investors in and I can't tell you how thankful they were when the stock market plummeted, you know, a couple months ago. And they actually were like, I'm so thankful that I was in that real estate deal because I didn't lose any money. Like, there, you know, you don't lose any capital in that, you know, because it's not like you're selling the property today. Uh, you know, so it's just a different animal. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I think, for yeah. example, um, you know, you heard of, I know you know Michael Blanc and his, and his syndication. Yes, I met him last year. Yeah. And that's how I met you too. Yeah. I met you on Michael Blanc's. Yes, um, that's how, yes. Yeah, that's how we met. Uh -huh. We're talking about that. And I think one of the things he he did really well was, you know, he's doing a lot of podcasts. He's doing a lot of education. He's providing a lot of value in terms of real estate syndication. Another great thing he put in was that a market report, which talked about like real estate syndications versus stocks. And that's a great report because it talks about like all the different benefits and how they analyze syndications, real estate investing, um, every benefit you can get from that versus stocks. And when you look at it and think about it, the long-term picture, it makes so much more sense. And that way people understand it actually does. And they proof of concept that that's a great way to go. And people actually learn from that. Go, oh, I actually didn't realize all these benefits of real estate syndication, you know? No, ab absolutely. And, you know, the beauty of the syndication. So, so I discovered syndication a few years ago. Um, and I really wish I would have learned about it sooner. So over the years, you know, um, I bought and sold real estate properties and, you, you know, it's always been the struggle of, you know, just, you know, coming up with a down payment or just, you know, kind of 
the balancing act of, you know, when you want to buy a property, you know, going through all the numbers, figuring out how much down payment you need, how it's going to make sense, doing your cash flow analysis, all of that. But if I would have known about syndication, you know, I wish I would, I wish I knew about it, you know, 10, 15 years ago. Um, because at that, I mean, I didn't realize, you know, that you could leverage other people's money. I knew that I knew about the concept of other, you know, about it being leveraged, but I didn't realize that you could actually leverage it in, in a real estate, uh, deal legally. <laughs> so, uh, so when I, you know, when I discovered that I was like, well, that just makes perfect sense because if you're trying to, you know, get into a bigger deal, if you're trying to buy an apartment building or you know, or any of that. I mean, it's like, you can't, you know, you don't necessarily do that by yourself. And, and, you know, I used to wonder how, you know, how do people buy those apartment buildings? And I remember thinking back several years ago, I'm like, you know, it'd be really cool to buy an apartment building, but you know, I just, I don't know how I would do that. And I just never really pursued it. And I, I, cause I just didn't know enough about it. And so, um, and so then when I came across syndication a few years ago, I was like, I was like, you know, this just makes perfect sense. Uh, this, you know, uh, you're leveraging, you're basically you're sharing the risk. You're distributing um, not only the risk, but you know you're sharing the profits and the cash flow. And so you know you're not in it just alone by yourself, taking all the risk on by yourself. And so that's what I really liked about it. And then you know the fact that as an investor myself, um, you know I'm able to get the cash flow and and you know the equity and, and all of that from those deals. And even though it's a small percentage, you know of the total deal. I mean we're talking about million, you know multi million dollar deals. Um, even though my piece is just a small, small, you know, part, but, but still, if I get, you know, 17, 18 returns, I mean, that's stellar. You're not going to get that in the stock market. Um, you know, and, and, and you're investing, you know, I'm investing in something that, uh, that people can live in, that they get a benefit from that you're providing value to the community. Um, especially in some of these apartment deals where we're doing value adds, you know, we're improving, you know, we're, we're improving the building, we're giving them you know, we're giving people a better place to live. Um, you know, we're bringing value to them. And so that's what I, that was another aspect that I really liked about it. Yeah. Sarah, actually, so uh, you mentioned that you saw a lot of benefit through the chaos um, in the 08, 09 uh, crisis. So, and you're involved in some syndications yourself right now. Um, do you see any benefit with investing right now? And uh, what kind of, uh, you know, I guess, advantages do you see with the uh, market right now? Well, I think it depends on what type of investment we're talking about. Um, I am a, a huge proponent of buying real estate right now. Um, you know, interest rates being under 3%. I mean, you're not going to get this money. You're not going to get money that cheap again, I believe, not for a long time, maybe ever in our lifetime. Um, but then again, I, I thought that back in 2010. So again, you never know. <laughs> um, so you know, so rates are like in the high twos right now. I mean, you can, I mean, it's, they're just, they're just crazy. So, um, so absolutely. I mean, I am a huge uh, proponent of buying real estate, whether it be, um, and especially if you're going to buy real estate to live in, if you're going to buy a primary home, um, you know, if you're, if you've been wanting to buy and you're on the fence and, uh, you're not sure, absolutely. Because what you're going to do is you're locking in that value for 30 years I and mean, you're buying the cheapest money that's available. Um, you know, even if, so even, you know, even if worst case, let's say that you buy a house um, and it goes down in value and you're afraid it's going to go down in value in the next couple of years. And that that may happen. But if you're going to buy a house to live in, then to me, you know, and I've told my clients this, too, um, you know, unless you're going to sell, unless you're planning on selling the next one or two years, it doesn't really matter. Because if you're going to be there for the next five to 10 years, if you're going to you know hold on to this property for a while, um, you know, you're going to be able to, you're going to be able to withstand some of those dips that may happen um, because you have such a low interest rate because your money is so cheap. You know, you're borrowing such cheap money. Um, you know, if the interest rates were at 5%, I would say, you know, that's a little bit different than I would maybe rethink that. And you might have to kind of look at those numbers more closely, but, um, but, you know, anyone that's wanting to buy real estate or, or, you know, if they're, if they're wondering if it's a good idea or not, um, I say, you know, yeah, jump in and jump in, buy it. Um, you know, get the cheap interest rates. Uh, I'm all, I'm all for that. Um, so, so yes, yeah, so that's kind of my answer on that. You know, when it comes to multifamily, uh, I, I believe that there's going to be some interesting, you know, I think there's always deals to be out there for multifamily. Um, but I think, you know, with the COVID environment, you know, I think that there's also, we have to kind of really look closely at some of the, uh, the occupancy numbers, the collection numbers, 
um, you know, and just see kind of what happens in the next like 12 to 18 months on that end. Um, it's not to say that I don't think there's deal, definitely deals out there, but we are we are uh, looking at deals much more closely and we're underwriting uh, basically basically COVID style now. Um, so I think that there's deals out there. Again, money is still cheap. Um, and so that's probably the biggest motivating factor in my opinion. Nice. So for example, I actually started in real estate in OA and I actually started when I was 24. I bought my first San Francisco house when I was 25. And I, what we did was, you know, became an agent right after that and actually started specializing in multi-unit investing and helped a lot of clients buy multi-unit buildings during OA, even though it was a really bad time to start real estate, it was actually a good time for me. And, and I, luckily I found clients who can actually put purchases on. So we're putting so many offers on, we're winning great properties. We're winning properties that people, it's kind of unheard of to find these great deals and just putting it in place to people who can uh, put their foot in the door and be stable and know for the long haul. So what happened in 08 and even today is, you know, writing conservatively, underwriting conservatively to understand what you're buying, what the risk factors are. And if you're stable and can afford it, then go for it. But those people who bought and could do it turned out really, really well for them. And the other people who could afford it, but were hesitant, they lost out big. Some people didn't want to pay 30K, but in four months, six months later, the house went up 400,000. But and they could afford it, but they just didn't feel comfortable. So investors have different scales of risk factors, and we understand that. One thing I kind of try to remind, and I heard from Brandon Turnberg before on Bigger Pockets, is if the deal doesn't work for you today, why don't you try to rewrite the numbers to make it work for you? If it's a good property, good deal, and it's just not working, figure out what would make it work. Better terms, better pricing. Uh, waiting longer for the person to change their mind, especially during COVID times. And of course, depending on the area, and if you're buying multi-units versus single family, sometimes you can say, hey, if we can raise the rents, for example, or if we can lower the price, change down payments, change the, the structure of the financing, there's so many adjustment variables. But as long as you're writing conservatively for what you need, then it can become a great deal, right? And yeah. multiple properties to do it. Absolutely. You know, and having um, the lending experience, you know, lenders now, you know, both residential and multifamily, I mean, you know, you, you have to build in those, those additional uh, reserves, you know, they're just the whole underwriting process is a lot more conservative. Um, and so, you know, making sure that you're well capitalized uh, is a huge deal, because, you know, we're seeing deals now that are coming back on the market that were bought, you know, in the last couple of years, and they were not capitalized well enough. And so they're actually starting to come back uh, and being being resold. Um, and so, you know, so just things like that. So just, you know, making sure that you're 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 uh, well capitalized, you have sufficient plenty of reserves, more reserves than you would normally uh, underwrite to, um, you know, uh, having your uh, being more conservative on your occupancy numbers. Um, I think with COVID, you know, it's not necessarily the, I mean, occupancy is definitely, you know, a concern, but also the, just the collection amounts, the bad debt, um, that's also, you know, just being, you know, more conservative on those numbers um, and then building in, you know, those potential risks that those numbers would, uh, would worsen potentially in the short term. Um, and so, yeah, you're absolutely right. Uh, you know, I think managing that risk um, is really important and, you know, taking all of those factors into account uh, and not, you know, the way that, you know, we would underwrite and analyze deals before uh, is not necessarily how we're going to, how we're going to analyze them today, you know, post COVID or, or, you know, during or post COVID. Um, and, you know, when, when we, and, and just in general, whether COVID or not, I mean, you know, underwriting a deal and analyzing a deal, you know, you have to make sure that you're building in your risk factors that to make sure that that deal is going to work um, for you. And then going back to the seller and saying, okay, this is how, this is how my numbers work. This is how I've underwrote it. Um, and, you know, over and over again, I'm sure you've experienced that sellers have their prices. I mean, they're kind of in dreamland, honestly, on some of their prices, Sometimes, but, yeah. but, but you have to, but you have to underwrite it and you have to analyze it based on what you, um, based on what is going to work for you based on your, um, what you're, what you're, uh, wanting for your cash flow and what's going to make sense. Um, I think, you know, for a while there's, you know, what kind of, I think when you're a newer investor, it's really easy to get caught up and, you know, you just want the deal. Um, and, you know, because you're, you're so hungry to get into it and, and get that deal. And, you know, and it is disappointing when it doesn't work out, but, um, but it's always, you know, I'd rather be disappointed now than, you know, much more disappointed later. <laughs> So, you know, so yeah, absolutely. I think he's got some really great points. Um, and actually, I, 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 I've been on, uh, I've looked at his content. I, he's got tremendous value. Um, he's got all those nice calculators and everything on there. 
that I've used. Um, and, and yeah, just analyzing it to what's going to work for you today um, versus, you, you know, thinking what's going to work tomorrow. And so that's how you have to go. And you have to go into the deal today with based on what it is today, not what you think it's going to be. Yeah, especially now to, um, you know, being the fact that we already passed 120 days, you actually have a good historic data now of properties. If you're going in as a syndicator now or an investor now to a syndication, you can kind of ask questions like, hey, how has the last four months been for this these buildings you're trying to buy? Has, you know, with COVID going on, how has the vacancy been? Um, some buildings actually, like in our syndications, we see with clients we're passively investing in, some of the syndications actually have really good um, rentals, really good uh, low vacancies and clients actually paying. Some buildings have a bigger um, part where either they're vacant or there are tenants not paying, but they already factored that in. So luckily when they bought their properties uh, pre-COVID, but they had already reserves in mind to adjust for any economic downturns and a good amount of adjustments, I've seen some vacancy factors up to 25% and they're getting good deals on it. So we knew when we're buying it and we're hoping, of course, we don't know for five years from now, but seeing what's going on with them, you need, really need good operators who understand the market, who have probably been here in 08, who's been here now and can say, hey, there are different kinds of like pandemic versus economic downturns. But if you can analyze your numbers and know what's good for you and your investors, then you can make smart decisions as best as you can control. Um, it can turn out really well. And I think syndication is a great way to go into passive investing in you know real estate. Absolutely. Um, I, you know, I think, you know, because I, I both, I'm um, so like you, I invest both passively and actively. Um, and, you know, it's such a great, uh, you know, even though I, I actively invest in real estate and I have an active, you know, business in real estate and lending and all of that. Um, but I'm also a busy person and I don't, you know, even though I'm working on my own real estate business, um, I also, I'm, I'm also in my own passive investment deals too, because, um, you know, there's some good deals out there and, uh, you know, and there's a place that, you know, if, if that I that you need to put funds. And and so I went the direction of doing, you know, self-directed, self-directed um, 401k and, and all of that. And it's actually worked out pretty well for me so far. Um, and so um, uh, but being passive, uh, it, I think is such a good uh, it, it's been such a good strategy. Um, and that was kind of, you know, when I started when I started investing in real estate, you know, that was kind of the whole point was you know, how do I get my income to X, right? So everybody, you know, and it's all out there. Everybody wants, you know, to basically, you know, basically have income and not work for it. <laughs> I mean, and, and not to say that real estate investing is, you know, you're not working for it, but as a passive investor, you're, it's great because you're really allowing, you're trusting somebody else to do the work for you, um, to manage the property for you, to go find the asset, to, you know, uh, you know, to do all of that, right. To deal with the client, to deal with the tenants and, and, and all the stuff that goes with, you know, basically landlording, essentially. Um, and so, you know, but it's great to go into an investment. It's like, oh, I don't have to deal with any of that. Like, they just take care of everything. I just get the distributions. Um, you know, they send me the reports and we get a quarterly update and, um, you know, and and it's been great. And so, and so because I do it myself, you know, when I tell my investors, I mean, this is, you know, this is how it works and these are the benefits. I mean, it's great because, you know, you, I mean, just like you, you experience it yourself. Um, you know, there's, there's a goal that, you know, people having that I have that I want to have, you know, so much passive income by certain, you know, time frame, And then, you know, let's say in the next five to 10 years, I want to be at a certain place. Um, and so when I work those numbers backwards, you know, that means that I have to be in so many deals. I have to have, you know, X percentage of returns, you know, I need my money to, you know, to work for me in this way. Um, and so, and being able to do that and being hands off is a really I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a huge benefit for me. And so, uh, and so even when I go into deals and I bring deals to my investors, um, you know, it's good to have that firsthand experience, you know, uh, of, of just how it works and, and what it, you know, what it's like. Um, and that way that, you know, if you're looking to go into passive investing, you don't have to, you know, go to work. I mean, at some point you'll be able to slow down. Right. And so, you know, I think the goal um, for me too, is to be able to slow down at, at some point, you know, um, and not, you know, kind of run the rat race, you know, as they say, you know, every day. 
Yeah, I think, um, for example, you know, passive investing versus active investing. And also, like, for example, like, especially in the Bay Area, you know, a lot of people want to invest and everyone wants to invest everywhere. But when you start looking at active investing, where you're actually buying, for example, single-family houses, multi-units, you're actively investing, you're actively engaged in a property, you're actually looking at everything, doing everything, um, hopefully not fixing everything, but mm-hmm. you're working with, you know, great, hopefully a great team of vendors, lenders, contractors, and handyman and agents to do the deal. But you're actively involved when you have a single family home if it's vacant you're 100 vacant and that's a big risk and if you have a two unit for example you're 50 50 right and it goes on and on and let's say for example you got the 100 units and 10 people 10 units left you're only 10 vacant that's okay because if you factor in the numbers and it makes sense you can cover that vacancy but when you're 100 vacant on a single family it's completely different you're paying the whole bill yourself and it becomes way more riskier so in real estate syndication investing is that's why so many syndicators are out there uh, educating providing value showing what a syndication can do a multi-unit investing and the fact that when it gets to 100 units 200 units it's way easier to manage than it is to manage a smaller building Absolutely. And I learned the hard way in that, Matthew. So I've owned several rental properties and we've owned rental properties. We've owned properties throughout the years. And every time, you know, I think, you know, and when I started, I said, okay, I'm going to have, you know, 50 rental properties. Well, okay. And that's all great. Um, But, you know, it was just easier to just, you know, why not just buy a 50 unit apartment building? Because first of all, the cost is less. Um, I use one management company versus 50 property managers. Um, you, you know, it, it was just, I mean, it all just made more sense. Um, the scalability of it made more sense. Um, and you're right because, you know, I have properties on the Midwest and it's like, as soon as anything happens, you're, you're, I mean, you're out, your, your returns on that property is gone in like a nanosecond, you know, because you had to replace the the dishwasher or something or the roof. Um, you know, so, I mean, and again, and that's to say that rental properties, I mean, again, they're, Rental properties for a long-term hold. Again, I'm I'm a I'm an advocate for. Um, if you're in a market, and I, and I I would say that I I guess it depends what market you're in because if you're in a market where there's high appreciation, I mean I mean like where we are, like look at California. I mean we have high appreciation rates. Um, so if you're going to buy a rental property, even though it may not cash flow, uh, you know as well, but it's going to most likely appreciate in the next you know five years. You can you know, you know, multiply your money, you know, three times or, or whatnot um, versus buying in the Midwest where you do a buy and hold and you really, you know, you're really buying more for cash flow. You're not really buying for, you know, appreciation. Um, and so I guess, it, so I guess it just kind of depends like what your comfort level is, what your goal is. Um, for me, it was buy and hold, not necessarily buy and flip or buy and sell in a short, you know, period of time. Um, and so, but yeah, but having the one rental property uh, you know, when you have just an expense of, you know, whatever it is, you have to fix something, you have to replace the roof, you have to, and, and again, and also these are things that uh, an investor would be looking at upfront anyway. So the, you should be looking at all of these capital expenses, um, what the property needs anyway, and you have to incorporate those into your, into your numbers. And so if you, you know, whatever price you're buying it at, you know, you have to figure in what capital expenses that you're going to have to, you know, incorporate in, and that's, that's incorporated into your offer. Um, in terms of how you price it and, and what you're offering as well. Yeah, is, exactly. So when you look at it too, I think one thing you can see as, you know, from example, from being a passive investor to active investor, you can see this too. You, by us becoming passive investors, we actually can learn really quickly because we can see what's going on in those passive investment properties, the locations they're in, the numbers they're writing and they're uh, underwriting, and then go through each property that you actually passively invest in. And when you start actively investing in, then you can say, hey, based on this, I have a lot more knowledge, dense knowledge and how operators are working, the numbers they're looking at, the properties, the locations, how their payout distributions are compared to our investment out in this location and you Mm -hmm. can give more guidance to your clientele. That's for me, that's why actually I'm passively investing in multiple syndications as well. And that helps me build the active syndication. And you can see, for example, some people are really writing really conservatively. They're giving you a longer timeline. So what happens by giving a longer timeline is that, hey, we can make sure our numbers are working for our clients. We're putting the timeline a little bit longer. We know COVID's going on, but with this longer timeline, your numbers are going to come back up because we have more distributions, more you know, the incomes, more chances of the rental vacancy going becoming less. So the numbers get better over time. If you're looking for one year, there's it's hard for any syndicator to say, I'll buy a syndication and do it in one year. It's always going to be three, five, seven, ten 10 years. And the longer it is, sometimes it gets better. Um, hopefully 
with the rates being super low, that they can refinance it sooner than later and get to a hopefully an infinite return. I would love to see infinite returns, you know, I'm sure everyone would. And what that means is being able to take all your money back out, having the property keep going by itself and giving you money forever if everyone agrees to that. If not, just buy those guys out, you know? <laughs> <laughs> That's the ideal situation. <laughs> yeah, it's, it can be a really fun one. And just putting that, you know, that principle in and getting the knowledge. So let's go in and talk about this. How did you become an active investor? And like, what's the process to become a syndicator? Well, I, you know, I've been actively investing for a while, for a number of years, for a while. Um, and, but as far as getting into the syndication, so a few years ago, um, you know, I, I, that's why I discovered um, the whole syndication thing and how it was compliant with SEC because, I mean, honestly, I didn't think it was, a, I really didn't know it was a legal thing. Um, and when I, when I learned that it was legal, if you, in, as long as you do it properly, um, you know, and that, you know, I didn't necessarily need to be licensed, um, you know, as long as I, you know, followed certain uh, rules and guidelines and I was in, uh, you know, I followed all of the SEC rules, um, then, then that's where that's what really made sense for me. So when I was in the middle of kind of reevaluating my investment strategy, um, going from you know these single family homes to multifamily, um, then that's that's really how I got into it. And then also because I had colleagues that also wanted to invest, you know, it was kind of just natural. It was just natural progression for me to go into. Um, and so you know, transitioning from you know single family. Uh, income properties to multifamily in going in as a limited partner or as a passive investor actually was a great way to start um, to actually go in as a passive investor to just kind of really just get my feet wet, just understand the process of getting in. Um, even though I even though I was very familiar with real estate, I was not familiar with the process of syndication. And so, um, so, so going through the process myself as a passive investor was was a huge was a huge value for me. Um, and then, and then from there, uh, you know, just really starting to syndicate myself and building up, you know, uh, I already had a database. I have a lot of clients over the years. I have a lot of business colleagues. I know a lot of people, you know, just, you know, being in our business here, you know, we just are well networked. We know a lot of people in real estate. Um, and so, you know, just taking that and then building on that and starting to educate, you know, my clients and just people that, that I network with on, on what I'm doing and, um, and start to, you know, just look at deals. Um, and so part of that process for me was just a, an enormous amount of education and really learning as much as I could and going into it possibly myself um, and talking to other investors and being really networked with other investors, learning from them, learning, learning how they were doing it, um, learning, you know, all the mistakes that other people were making, just all the challenges that come with it. And, uh, you know, and then just, and then just starting taking my business from there. So, uh, so that transition for me was fairly natural. Um, the other thing that I also did was I hired, a uh, I, uh, I hired a mentor, which was a huge, huge, um, deal for me. So, you know, because it's hard to go through it yourself, you know, cause you don't know what you don't know. Um, and so having a mentor who, um, uh, so my mentor is Vinny Chopra. Uh, I'm sure you know him. He's yeah. he owns like 5,000 units or something <laughs> like that. <laughs> um, and so he was really instrumental in helping me and inspire me and motivate me to um, to stay focused and to um, also just kind of understand the nuts and bolts of things because you know you can learn things conceptually, but you know unless you actually go through the mechanics of it, you don't you know it's hard to really understand it unless you really go through the mechanics and the steps yourself. Um, but having that mentor to, um, to, to, to basically tell you, okay, this is how you do this. This is how you do this. Um, because, you know, I would hit these walls or these blocks where it's like, okay, I would get to a certain point. I would learn so much. And then I'd be like, okay, but I'm stuck. Like, I just, I can't seem to get to the next step or I can't seem to, you know, we would be underwriting deals all day long, but I just, I couldn't seem to get to, you know, getting an offer accepted. Um, or I couldn't get to a point where I would, I would, you know, make an, a letter of intent or an LOI. And so I would get to kind of these milestones where I would get stuck. And that's where a mentor really, really helped me, um, was to get unstuck and keep moving forward. Um, and so, uh, so that was kind of the process that I went through. 
Yeah, I think that process helps a lot in having mentors, uh, especially when you're going to multifamily and you're doing investing in syndication. Multifamily and just investing in general is one thing, but doing it as a syndicator uh, or even passively is a different thing because you're learning about you know operating agreements, LLCs, um, PPMs, private placement memorandums, and you're learning differences. And they're really detailed. They're really deep. And this is long haul. You're in it with a group of people, hopefully good operators and good people. And it's a lot more money. So then you're definitely way more cautious. And as a sponsor, you're even more cautious. Even if you know the industry, even if you know multi-unit investing, it's still different. It's you know using OPM, other people's money, and investing bigger and smarter, hopefully, and that you're leveraging more power to do that to get to a bigger place it does become easier after the first one i think they talk everyone talks about a syndicator the first one's always the hardest everything after that is sequentially easier it's just a challenge to get over these roadblocks and that's where a mentor comes in because they can kind of guide you through that handhold you make sure you're doing everything right and you're choosing to do everything right because you're working with mentors to do that and you're watching your clients you know investments right so having the extra hand holding to do the first one especially is really beneficial and then after that they help you build upon it especially like vintage chopra and other guys they're doing really well they show everyone how to do it a lot of other syndicators are also using them as coaches mentors to do that those syndications but i'm sure after you get your first one in the door you feel so much better you kind of know the process absolutely it's always it's always that first deal as they say as michael blanc says right yeah um you know, and there was so much, uh, there was so much learning and there was so much um, just legal, like just from the, le the, just the legal aspect of it with SEC and, and making sure that you're compliant if you're doing a 506B or C, um, you know, if you're working with accredited versus non-accredited investors and, you know, just really, you know, making sure that you learned all of the ins and outs and how to protect yourself and your business um, so that you, you didn't do something illegally or were, you know, were just because you didn't understand it uh, because, you know, something like, you know, there's, there's things that can happen that, that can affect you for the rest of your life. I mean, from a legal standpoint, so it is serious. It's very, um, you know, taking the compliance part of it is very serious. Uh, you, you have to put your investors first, um, you know, working and uh, having a lending mortgage business uh, for so many years, you know, I've, I've learned my lesson well about, you know, you have to, Put your clients first, whether they're your investor, your real estate client, your whatever client it is that you're working with, whatever business you're in. Um, but you have to put your clients' um, in, uh, interests first before your own and before the, the the management teams, because those are your clients. That, I mean, that's that's the fuel that's making it happen. Um, and you know, it, you know, not you know, not managing that well or not communicating that well is gonna you know put put that whole, put, put that whole deal at risk. Um, and so, but you're right, but getting through that first one, um, understanding the legal aspects of it, of how to syndicate. Um, the other thing I can't stress enough is really just having the proper team. So, you know, uh, building, you know, I built a relationship with actually a couple of really great uh, SEC attorneys um, and, you know, having a really good SEC attorney, having a good um, CPA is huge. Um, having, you know, like if you have a business partner, I, you know, so I did, I brought in a, a business partner, uh, Krista means she's from the Dallas Fort Worth area. Krista, if you're watching this, hello. Um, and you know, just having, you know, the right, just having other people, you know, other, um, team members working with you that bring different strengths to what you're doing, uh, was really big. Um, I, you know, you just, I couldn't do it myself. So I really had, there's a whole, like a whole bunch of people involved, um, because really it is, it's, it's such a huge team effort. And then you have the property management side of it. And then you're bringing in, you know, asset management, property management, you know, all of the other things on the operations side to make sure that your business plan, that you're going to be able to execute on your business plan. Um, and then all, also kind of the checks and balances, you know, the double checking of your numbers, like having other people underwrite, looking at your deals, um, you know, getting second, third pair of eyes on it, you know, seeing things that, you know, maybe I missed or that the other person missed. Um, you know, kind of playing through all the what if scenarios. Um, and uh, so that, that was a really key, that was a key thing of it too, is just making sure that you had, you know, good people on your team that were experienced and, you know, uh, know knew what they were doing, knew what they're looking at. And, uh, you know, that had, that was washing out for you as well. Um, you know, uh, you know, you know, when you're trying to, you know, get into a deal. So, um, yeah. So as far as, you know, the, the, the teamwork and all of that, it was just a tremendous effort. Uh, we actually, so we, um, I got into contract on a deal earlier that were like pre, uh, pre COVID. 
uh, we had made an offer. We had been negotiating a deal on a 79 unit apartment building in um, Oklahoma City. And we that was a four month process. And we ended up canceling because <laughs> of COVID. Uh, but <laughs> these deals take a long time. And, and really, honestly, we had looked at my partner, we had looked at um, at least 100 deals. Like we'd, we'd underwritten probably at least a hundred, I mean, at least a hundred deals we'd, we'd underwritten, we analyzed the numbers um, before we found that particular one that made sense. And, uh, and so really it's not just like, you know, it, it's a lot of digging and digging and digging to find, to find, to find a good deal. But when you do find a good deal and you vet it out properly and it's still a good deal, if the numbers work and you have vetted it and you've done your due diligence, um, it's super exciting because then it's like, wow, we actually have a deal that 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 we're really excited about, um, that you know that we believe in, and uh, and that you know bring that to our investors um, when when that finally does happen is really exciting. So Sarah, uh, you mentioned that having a proper team and a mentor is really important. Um, so what kind of advice do you have for new time investors? Because always, you know, finding the first property and investing in that first property is very important, right? It's the first step. So what kind of advice do you have uh, uh, for people who want to invest? Well, you know, I, I think um, probably one of the things that come to mind is uh, just, you know, I would say just, you know, getting yourself educated as much as you can, you know, listening to, you know, shows like this or podcasts or, or, you know, reading, you know, material or books um, is to, you know, understand, you know, first of all, educate yourself and get familiar with how things work, uh, get familiar with the process, like get familiar with just the general concepts. Um, there's a lot of terminology out there in our business that, you know, people may not be familiar with. So, you know, just educating yourself as much as possible. Like I have stuff on my website, you can read about you have, I mean, there's all kinds of stuff out there out online. Um, the, the second thing is to, you know, again, just get kind of somebody in your corner that you can just kind of bounce ideas off of and just, you know, get input from, you know, the people that are around you. Um, but I would say that the biggest thing probably is to, is to not, not allow your limiting beliefs to stop you. So kind of working through, uh, your limiting beliefs about yourself or what you're capable of, or, you know, whether, you know, uh, you should do something or not do something. I mean, it's important to manage all of those risks and assess, you know, assess a, a deal to see if it's a good risk or not. Um, but what I find is that, and even for myself, when I started a long time ago, even for myself was, um, you know, being able to get over my own, being able to get out of my own way. And, you know, get through my own mental stumbling blocks of why I should do something, you know, because it, it just may not work out. And that's true. And that's part of investing. Investing is a risk. Um, but you have to, you know, but as long as you mitigate your risk and you, you assess it and, you know, it's, uh, and you do all the due diligence around it, I think, um, as a newer investor, uh, getting over that fear that for, you know, just fear about different things, um, and kind of the hesitancy or fear of just, not taking action on your first deal, not taking action on your, you know, investing passively or, or even actively, but just, you know, just making that first step, I think was probably the biggest hurdle. Uh, and I would say that's probably the, the biggest thing that I would probably tell a newer investor is to work through that kind of mental block and, um, you know, and, and so that you can get to a point where you can make that decision and take action. Um, that's probably the biggest thing that I see out there you know, with a lot of people is just not, you know, being afraid. Yeah. Thank you for saying, thank you for sharing that, Sarah. Um, actually, um, uh, one of our viewers actually asked a question, um, where do you find the syndicates? Syndicates. So syndicators like people ourselves or the people that are for people like you. Yeah. Yeah. Well, by watching shows like this, <laughs> um, there's, there's a lot of syndicators out there. There is, fine, right? There, there is, you know, there's a lot of syndicators out there, but I would say, again, you kind of have to kind of, you know, sift through, you know, the, the, the ones that are good and it, it was like with anything, right. You have to find the ones that, um, have a good reputation that have a solid track record, um, that, that, you know, you know, that, that you can trust that you can build a relationship with. Um, this is very much a relationship type of business. Uh, you know, it's not like, you know, I mean, people want to invest in a good deal, but, you know, more importantly, they, they're investing in the syndicate that they're doing the deal with. 
right? So it's not just about putting the money in the property, you're investing your money into the person or the team, you know, that that's, that's handling it. Um, and so I, you know, so I think that's a good question because there's a lot of, there is a lot of content out there. There's a lot of stuff out there. And I think what, what, what's important is being able to build a relationship with that person. Maybe not necessarily, you know, directly with, you know, uh, in person on the, you know, in person, but, you know, being able to understand how that syndicate works, their mindset, how they operate, um, you know, what their experience has been, uh, you know, what value they bring, you know, to the team that they're working on. I mean, all of those things um, come into play and, you know, you know, looking at, you know, what they've done in the past, um, you know, making sure that whatever they've done, whatever their experiences in the past, that they have integrity and that they're transparent and, you know, in all of those things. So the reputation is really the biggest thing, in my opinion. Um, and so, you know, I think interviewing them, you know, building that relationship, uh, you know, all of those things are, re are really important, but, uh, you know, finding a, a good, finding a syndicate, uh, syndicator that is a good fit for you or for somebody, um, you know, you, you, you do want to interview a few and you want to see, you know, you want to, you know, you want to check out a few before you, you commit to any one investment. Yeah, I think for myself, when I was looking at syndications and looking at people to go for the things I look at too is the quickest way is let's look. I was listening to Michael Blanc, a lot of his podcasts. I was listening to Bigger Pockets. I was listening to Vinny Chopra. I was listening to other podcasts as well on real estate syndication. Once you can hear about syndicators, what they're doing, their mindset, their goals, and how they're talking and how they're educating, the ones you can feel who are really providing a lot of value to you, educating you, showing you everything they've gone through, all the success and all the failures, everything they learned, it builds more trust because you can say, hey, basically. Based on everything you've seen, this guy has done a lot. He went through a lot of failures. He grew a lot, but he, you can tell in the past track record, they have a really good history of really doing really well at this point. And the other part of it is too, every, syndicators have different amounts. One question one of our uh, guests asked was like, what's the minimum amount? I've seen amounts in the 5,000, 10,000, 20,000, 50, 100,000, 200,000. It really depends on the syndicator, what the property they're doing, and if they let you in. Like, for example, Grant Cardone, he's done a lot of deals. Some of them are 100,000 minimums, but he has recently let some go at 5,000. And the goal mm -hmm. for his 5,000 was I just want to educate, provide a lot of value, let people get a taste of what it feels like to be in this syndication, even though it's way more work for him. He's, you know, giving opportunity to those who want to be a part of real estate investing and hopefully they can learn and grow from that. I put my money into some of those 5,000s. I put my money into other bigger ones as well. And you can see how operators work after the fact. Are they actually giving you quarterly updates, quarterly distributions? Are they showing you what's going on with the property or they just disappear? Hopefully not disappear, yeah. but you, you learn a lot really quickly and you kind of use your gut feeling to get the trust to find the right people you can work with. And hopefully they're on podcasts just like this one, just like Sarah, who Sarah's providing a lot of value to us, our community, so you can get a sense of how she works, how, how she thinks, what she's doing for her clients and how much she cares. That matters. Thank you, Matthew, for that. <laughs> Welcome. So a part of that too, um, so let's talk about Legacy Bloom. So what is Legacy Bloom Investments really? And what are you guys doing? Well, so Legacy Bloom, so my partner and I, uh, so I founded Legacy Bloom a couple of years ago and my, my business partner, Krista, is out of Dallas. And so uh, we've been working in this company, um, a syndication, it's a syndication company. And so uh, we are, we, uh, we raise capital, we bring investors into our multifamily deals. Um, but what's really exciting is that we, um, this earlier this year, uh, we got into the senior living space and it, it was actually not, I wouldn't say by accident, I got into it. Um, it, it was, it was actually a business colleague of mine, uh, Paul Rogers that actually brought me last year. And, uh, we had talked about his deal that, uh, that he was working on in senior living out of St. in St. Louis. And, um, and so we started this kind of journey, uh, into the senior living space, um, where we are now actually working on, uh, we're actively working on uh, getting uh, getting funding for our um, our project. It's called the Cottages of St. Louis County, and it's a uh, it's an assisted living and memory care. It's an 80 bed uh, assisted living memory care community, new construction, so ground up new construction. Um, and because I've done new construction, so I, I did new construction loans. I've been in the new construction space, so. To me, it was kind of it was just very natural for me to to, to gravitate towards that, um, 
And so, so it's been really exciting. And the more I learned about senior living, the more I was like, this is the place to be. <laughs> uh, just with all of the stuff that's been going on with senior living and, and even with, um, you know, even with the COVID going on, you know, there's been so much bad press, you know, with COVID and, and the numbers of deaths in, uh, you know, in the senior living space. And, you know, one thing that, you know, that I learned and that I want to differentiate was, you know, all of that stuff that's out there in the news. I mean, the majority of that is actually in the nursing homes, not necessarily like your independent living, assisted living, you know, type of communities. I mean, there is, and again, uh, we need to acknowledge that that, 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 that is happening, but, um, but, you know, we also kind of have to educate and differentiate kind of, you know, you know, the, the differences, you know, between senior living, because I think sometimes people just kind of clump it into one. Um, so that's, that's actually a space that we've been actively working in. We are actively uh, getting that funded. We want to break ground later this year. And uh, so we're just, we're just super excited about it. We're actually now, because we're, we've been, we are in that one, and we're working with a couple partners. We have two partners, um, we have uh, our business partners out here where I'm at in Roseville. And then we have our, our partners, our development partners and our operators um, out of Tucson, Arizona. And these guys have been doing it for 16 years. They have several developments under them. They've already taken two through full cycle. Um, and what's really cool about the new construction is that, you know, you have your construction, you're going in with your construction costs, right? Um, but your uh, but your equity, but you already have your built-in equity because, you know, once you've stabilized the property, you, you're going to sell it off at, you know, like in this case, probably another $8 million higher than what our build cost was. So you're already going in at, you know, in the door with the equity already there because because of the new construction, uh, how the new construction works. Um, and so, um, so that's been really exciting for us. And uh, it's a space that we're, uh, that we're just, we just get more excited about every day. And we feel that it's just, it's really just, in the next like five to 10 years, there's just, there's just so much opportunity out there for it. Um, so, and then also we, you know, um, uh, you know, educating our investors, um, you know, you know, putting out as much content, you know, working through um, our marketing strategy as far as like, you know, the content we're going to be putting out there, especially on senior living um, and syndicated syndication and, and how it all works and all of that. Um, and so, you know, so from that standpoint, the education standpoint is, is what we're going to be really focusing on as well. Yeah, I agree. And I think a couple of things we're going to talk about here too, senior living, senior housing, um, even Vinny Chopra is going toward that route right now. And one thing he mentioned was the fact that was how many millions of people are going to be keep entering senior housing? We have, so in the next, so in the next 10 years, in the next like five to 10 years, there's gonna be about almost 18 million people that are going to be aging or turning over 65. I mean, that, I mean, that's, that's like mind blowing. And, and then um, in the next, like, I think by like 2060, there's gonna be like, you know, almost 90 million people uh, <laughs> so, uh, you know, so, 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 so a couple things, one is that people are not getting any younger, right? So people will continue to age. We're all going to continue to age. Um, and so that baby boomer generation is not stopping. I mean, that that's just going full steam ahead. And so as an industry, you know, investors in that space, you know, we need to be prepared, um, to be able to provide housing, uh, for those seniors, whether it be independent living, assisted living, uh, memory care. And, and the other thing about memory, the other thing about assisted living and memory care is that um, it's a little, you know, it kind of from the multifamily aspect of it, right? So, you know, you have that you're providing a need for housing, right? And that's, that's first and foremost. Um, and so you have that the kind of the real estate aspect of it. But the other aspect of senior housing is the needs based services component of it, right? So you have the real estate part of it, and then you have the needs based part of it. Um, and the needs-based part of it is the skilled nursing component of it, where this is not an optional service for people when they go in here. You know, they don't go in and they just decide one day they're going to go live in an assisted living facility because they they want to. Um, they go there because they they really have to because they they need help and support um, because they can't do the daily tasks that they need they needed to do, um, or they're suffering from dementia, or they're or getting they're getting to that that point where they're not able to take care of themselves. Um, and their family is not able to take care of themselves, or I'm sorry, take care of them. Um, and so this is not just something that, you know, they just decide to do and just go into and pay, you know, $4,000 a month to, to do, um, or, or even, or actually more, more than that. Um, and so, so from that standpoint, um, you know, it's really important to remember that, you know, the needs-based part of it is really what makes it unique and different. 
uh, compared to, you know, when we, when we look at, you know, how multifamily works. Um, you have that second component of it. And the other thing that's really astonishing is that the number of dementia, as far as the number of um, kind of the rate of Alzheimer's is there, the Alzheimer's Association is projecting that's going to triple, uh, the numbers are going to triple by 2060. Uh, and then another, another really interesting statistic was that by the time somebody reaches 85 years old, their chances of getting some, some type of a dementia related disease goes up to like 35%. And so, you know, the average age of people going into assisted living facilities is about 85. And, you know, and so, you know, so kind of with the rate, the increase of dementia, the increase of uh, kind of the, you know, people, you know, uh, they're, you know, how long they're living, you know, people are going to continue living longer and longer. Um, and so really, I, again, I think the meat and potatoes in this space is going to be in the next 10, you know, probably the next like 10 to 15 years. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I think that you're right. If you're especially doing syndication right now, um, syndicating to senior housing is actually a really great uh, place to be. Like you mentioned, the numbers make sense. You're building, for example, new development, new homes, uh, new senior homes, and you know the property's already built in equity because once you finish a new development and you get it established, stabilized, that these people can live there, they can enjoy it. You're creating services too for the owner or a, a user can create services for these people to get enjoy a beautiful new place to be. You're, you're stabilized and your vacancy rate is super low because you know they need a place. And the fact that there's so much growing uh, numbers of people who need this service that you're kind of like kind of guaranteeing yourself as long as you're in a good city that makes sense with population wise and they're all here from you know post covid they're all here still that you can have a you know a good place to use and those numbers make sense plus you have hopefully the government helping with uh, assisted payments or there, Medicare. there is there, there is and there, there is some of that uh, the majority of the assisted living is is private pay um, and the reason for that is because we have more control, operators have more control over, you know, the operation side of it, you just have more control. Um, but there is a small percentage that, that do get government a subsidy, um, and that we have to, you know, cater to that need as well. Um, but yeah, but you're right. I mean, I think, uh, you know, again, the senior living space is something we're very excited about the multifamily space. Uh, we're very excited about, you know, it, it's always, you know, you're, you're, you're addressing the fundamental human need of housing and care. And so I, I don't think, you know, in the right market and for the right deal, um, I think that, you know, again, long-term, you, you can't go wrong in that. A question one of our guests asked too is, how do you actually pick a partner? Good question. <laughs> I think that's really hard. <laughs> so uh, okay. how do you pick your partner? Of, have, have lots of drinks with them. I'm just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, it's just like any relationship, you know, you need to spend a lot of time with them. You need to ask a lot of good questions. You need to understand just kind of who they are as a person, you know, what, how they operate, how they think, um, how you guys get along. Because again, it's like a marriage. You need to get along. Um, and, uh, it, you know, and, and you also need to, to see what, what you both bring to the table, right. In terms of your skill set. And so, you know, if you bring complementary skill sets, um, then that's really an ideal situation. Um, you know, like for example, I, like with my partner and I, uh, I tend to be very, um, like my, my strengths are in, uh, deal analyzation. You know, I'm very, uh, process driven, very on the business side of things. Uh, whereas my partner is very good and well connected to finding deals and talking with brokers and kind of deal, you know, kind of uh, being on the boots on the ground, like looking at deals and you know, kind of working those relationships. And then she'll bring the deals to me. And I'll look at the numbers and, you know, and so, and so kind of having complementary uh, skills is, is, is really important. Uh, and then just being able to get along and having, you know, your, where your personalities mesh um, is also really important. Um, and uh, so again, I, you know, just building that relationship with that person, being comfortable with them, being, you know, say, Hey, this is a person I'd like to work with. This is like, we have, we have a lot, our goals are in alignment. You know, we have the same goals. This is what we want to accomplish. Um, and so, and then, you know, and then making a commitment and saying, Hey, let's just do it. And you just start working together, you know, and, and, you know, and, and see where it goes from it, like do a deal together. Um, you know, just you know, work together in some capacity. So, so you get familiar with how they work. Sound familiar, Susie? 
Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Susie and I are actually partners too in a lot of different things, especially sales and the podcast and other events. And I think one thing is looking at, like you just mentioned, profiles. Like I'm exactly like you, Sarah. I, I think because we're born on the same day. Happy birthday from yesterday. <laughs> Birth of the same birthday. So we didn't know that. It's funny. How many people do you actually meet on your same that has the same birthday as you? I don't know. You know, me. very few. You know, and, and now that I think about it, I think you're actually the only one that I have on this that you I've met that has the same birthday as me. That's so funny because you're exactly the same. You are the and first. We only found out through Facebook. <laughs> yeah, we met through uh, Michael Blog, Facebook, and online. And we're same birthday. And we're both in real estate. We're both investors. We're both syndicators. You know? So that's yeah, pretty funny. Yeah. <laughs> and there's many more things that match. And that, that is funny. I'm, I'm so glad to be, you know, have you as a, a person on the same birthday to share with me. Thank you. you yeah. Know. And part, speaking of partnerships and things like, you know, a disc profile, taking profiles, assessments to understand who you are, how you work, how the other person works. Is it complementary to each other? Um, do you guys have mutual beneficial things that you can help each other, your strengths, your weaknesses to help each other grow? And like you said, it's like a marriage. So start dating first. It's your work wife, you know, work husband. You start dating, getting to know each other. Do one deal first. See if that deal works. Do another deal. Keep going until you feel really comfortable to say, yeah, I'm ready to be committed to you and let's do this and make it fun. Uh, it takes time, takes patience. You want to see the goals of everyone because people have different motivations. People have different goals. People have different times in their life, what they can and cannot do. And as long as you guys respect it, understand it, go around it to make it work, then it can be really good and mutually beneficial. Uh, Susie and I have been doing really well as partners. Uh, we're doing really good working with each other, helping each other through our hurdles, and also helping each other push each other to be better. And that's a good strength to have because it makes you uh, do what you couldn't have done by yourself. It makes you build more and have way more leverage to you know, focus on what you focus on best. I'm really analytical. I'm data-driven. I'm all numbers, and I'll fight to get you the best deal, right? Whereas you have others who are boots on the ground, relational, networking, ability to go meet, call, talk to people, and get them all, get everything dialed in with you to verify with you to make a deal done. That's the best part. You can't do everything yourself. It's too hard to do everything yourself. And especially in syndication world, you need a team. The team has to be everyone. And you can't be a syndicator by yourself to do a whole syndication, hundreds of millions of dollars. It's almost impossible, right? It, it, it is. It's it's impossible. And all the and all the big the good syndicators out there, they all have stellar teams around them. Uh and that and that's really what makes them successful. Didn't Vinny Chopra have like a huge team? Like a super oh, he's huge got a team. huge team. Yeah. <laughs> And that's he's why he came for a while. He started with seven dollars and built a huge. He did. He started with seven dollars in his pocket. He came from India, yeah. and uh, and he and he built on that. Uh, uh, he was an engineer, had a technology company, built all you know, and then he got into syndication. I think he's been in like fourteen or fifteen years now, and he's done. I think he's on his twenty eighth or 29th or maybe thirtieth syndication now. Yeah, I think twenty eighth, um, nine around there. I think yeah, it's there. almost thirty years now. Or is it it's yeah. been for a long time? It's been a, it's been a while, but yeah, but I, you know, but I say, you know, there's always, you know, regardless of where you are starting, um, you know, if you're, you know, just having, you know, being motivated enough and having the the willingness to learn um, and to really stick with it, because it really does, it doesn't happen overnight. I mean, just, you know, it's a slow process, just like you and I were talking about earlier. It's a slow process. Um, it, it does take some time and it takes a lot of work and effort. Um, uh, but if you're willing to stick with it, I, I, I absolutely believe uh, that it can be that, you know, it can be successful, just like, you know, and again, we're in real estate. So real estate is not an overnight kind of thing. And so, you know, I, I think about it that way, you know, it, like being a syndicator, it's like you're, you're following the life of real estate, you know, and real estate is, you know, several years, many, many years, that's, you know, if you're willing to stick it out, um, you know, five to 10 years, then, you know, then that's kind of how long, you know, you might stick it out for. Or longer. That's actually a good point. I'm gonna let's add this. In real estate, you know, yeah, like you just mentioned, it's a long game and you wanna be a investor, you wanna be a syndicator, you have to play the long game and know go in looking to educate yourself as highly quickly as fast as possible understand everything do more due diligence than anyone will do out there because it makes you so much stronger and better when i built my syndication i spent over four months to a year 
just doing the legal per- part of it. And the reason I took that long was because I was just educating myself on everything. I was reading every lawyer syndication website. I actually gave feedback to them too. I read every <laughs> page. I gave them grammar feedback. And I said, hey, how come this doesn't match this? Why, you know, you said this with different dates, of course. And they said, wow, you're the number one person to give me this much feedback. You actually improved their PPM because you did the due diligence. Overly analyzed it. But the reason I overanalyzed it just because I want to know, I want to be in and out and be really confident for our clients and investors that we're doing the right thing for them. So over education helps, but at the same time, analysis paralysis, you still need, exactly. to, you still need mm-hmm. to educate and you still need to push forward. So the challenge is this, push forward, learn every day. If you can't write an offer, the goal that um, Bigger Pockets said was that just start analyzing every deal, analyze a hundred deals until you feel confident and then be like Michael Blanc and pull the first trigger with a group of people that you trust so that you can get through the door. Whether you're 1% ownership or hundred percent ownership, you still need to pull the trigger to do it. And once you get your first deal done, then the second one will come in a week later or a month later. It'll come really quickly. I think he even mentioned it took like, like 12 months to 18 months for his first deal. And most syndicators take 12 months to 18 months for their first deal. That's the average. If you can do it sooner, great. Make sure you're cautious and understanding, but do it. Absolutely. Yeah. And I remember Matthew, I think, um, like, uh, what was it like a year and a half or whenever it was last year, I remember you were, you were talking about that, how you were so diligent, uh, in doing your research and on, and on the legal research. And I remember thinking, I'm like, that's really great. I mean, like, I don't think a lot of people actually do that. Um, and so it's funny you mentioned that because I, I, I had that thought, remember when I, when we were interacting, you know, through the, through the, um, kind of through some of our forums. Exactly. And yeah, it's fun. It makes you just, you're aware, you're confident, you know what you're talking about and you're just here to provide value. And then when you go into the numbers, the your investors trust you more. And my real estate career and our career has been built on trust and relationships and investments. And in San Francisco Bay Area, we do a lot of multi-unit investing and we have built a lot of equity and money for them. Now it's our turn to build it together. Right. But they have that trust built in because they know you know your numbers, you know what you're doing and you're here to always build for them. So let's right now it's about you know 10 o'clock right now. Let's end this off. And how do people actually learn more about Legacy Bloom and how do people actually reach out to you? Um, so you uh, so you can visit my website. It's www.legacybloom.com. And check it out. Uh, we have some uh, webinars and, and, and whatnot uh, posted that you can watch. And then also, um, I'm going to also be posting my podcast uh, that I'd love to have you as a guest on. Mm-hmm. And my podcast will be launched here probably the next month or so. And that is called 50 Shades of Wealth, Confessions of a Real Estate Investor. Um, nice. So, so Matthew, you'll, you'll need to, uh, to give us your confession on my, on my uh, podcast interview. So just be prepared. <laughs> of course, we're down to be there, down to be on your podcast. Love to be part of it. Love to do what we can to sh- uh, help and just watch it grow because I think you're providing a lot of value and we want to see more from you, especially the, you know, this podcast and other things we've been talking about. It's great that you're actually going to be sharing this on your podcast and more and these educational events that you're doing actually help the community as syndicators. We all want to educate everyone out there to that what syndication is about. And I'm glad and appreciate that you're doing that. Thank you, Matthew, for having me. You're welcome. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you so much. Bye, everybody. Bye. Bye.